Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and our Wonder Women in Business podcasts give a voice to the women who have a story that's meaningful, moving, and compelling. We share their stories with the world so that in their shining, they give permission to others to shine. Tune in to Freeman Means Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and Radio Public for great episodes starring amazing people who move the needle. Today's guest is Wendy Toth of Power Suiting. First off, let me say what an honor it is to have you on the show today, Wendy. Thank you, Susan. I am honored to be here. That's great. Well, look, I have to tell the audience a little bit about how we met, and yeah. that is in quotes, because um, I have not personally met Wendy, but I thought I had. <laughs> So one day I was on a plane to Boston and I sat next to a really remarkable woman named Wendy Toth, who was from Belmont, California. When I was in the C-suite in, uh, in my world, she and I shared a lot of stories about that. So, so she was a C-suiter in the tech world. So we, we had a lot in common and we talked on the plane like women often do. We had plenty of talk to talk about. Um, by the end of the flight, I had invited her to join my husband and me for dinner in Boston. That was my final destination. He was already there. So we hit it off beautifully. We became really, really good friends. She, she joined us for dinner, and it was just really great because she lived not too far from us. Well, time passed, and I hadn't heard from her. And, uh, you know, when you're really good friends with someone, it's sort of like they say the stars are out. Even if you can't see them, you know they're shining. Well, we knew we were still friends, but we hadn't seen or heard from each other in a while. Well, I was in Healdsburg not too long ago, and Wendy Toth followed me on Twitter. I immediately sent her a picture of my husband, Mike, waving at her, saying, oh my gosh, we miss you. Where have you been? We thought you were out of our lives. And I get a message back and <laughs> realized it was not the same Wendy Toth. And so that's how I got connected with this most amazing Wendy Toth that's our guest today on the podcast. She's a writer and editor and a content, content director, editor-in-chief at Power Suiting. So tell us a little more about your background, education, and what you do for a living, Wendy Toth. Sure, Susan. So I have to give a shout out to the other Wendy Toth uh, because since I am a journalist and I have been for about 15 years now, we journalists love to see our own bylines and Google ourselves often. So the, I've seen the other Wendy talk pop up in Google and followed <laughs> her career for years. <laughs> so That's awesome. It That's so worked great. out beautifully and she's great. <laughs> so that being said, I am a longtime journalist and editor, uh, mainly for female audiences. So I've written and edited at places like Parents Magazine, Weight Watchers, Spa Finder, uh, most recently, I was at PetSmart for six years. They have a bunch of great websites all about taking care of your animals. And now, full-time, I'm content director for a company called LuckyVitamin.com. So we're a health and wellness online store. And we have a great blog. And then in my bit of free time, I have become more and more passionate about leadership and the career tra trajectory of other writers and creatives so I really honed in on covering that topic, and that's why I launched powersuiting.com. So that's really where I do all my research and writing on career coaching and mentoring and just helping people 
you know, like me who want to have their voices heard. Oh my gosh. So I love that you said that. First of all, powersuiting.com. What a great name, powersuiting. That's amazing. I love it. Second of all, having our voices heard, that is exactly what this is all about. So women want to be heard and respected. And I think that what you do gives them that voice and that chance and a channel through which, or a method of delivery um, through which they can be heard and respected. And I think that's amazing. And that's why I asked you to be on my show today. You are a very, um, you give really great advice, good insights. I know you have a blog. If you want to talk a little bit about that, you can, but your website is full of really good, insightful uh, information and you're accessible, which is so great. So many um, people in the days of journalism past are, were not accessible, but I think with digital uh, in the digital age, we, we definitely make ourselves available to others and you're real, you know, you can actually reach out. I mean, I tweeted with you, the real Wendy talk. <laughs> so, yeah. Not just read an article in a print magazine. So I love social media. Terrific. Oh, me too. I think that's become really important over the years. And when I did start, I was in the print world, believe it or not, you know, it was that long ago and, um, moved over to digital about halfway through my career and just saw the difference. You know, it was always really important to me that my voice feel friendly and conversational, no matter what publication I was writing in and being able to just talk with readers and other writers directly and even sources directly, it has made a big difference. And um, I think when, when people started moving more towards social media and the publishing world got shooken up a little bit, it did worry some people, but in my opinion, it's turned out great. It, there's just more room for more opinions and voices. And there's still plenty of work to be had out there for people who do want to write and edit and be, do video and all these other great formats, like even podcasts. Sure, sure. So I, I believe competition is dead and collaboration is alive and well. So I think that, that we're on the same page there. What what in your long, or I, I shouldn't say long because it makes you sound old. You're not old at all. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that because I am myself <laughs> rather senior. Um, but what is your proudest professional accomplishment today? Ooh, that's a good question. So I think for me, because I grew up wanting to be a writer as a kid, always, that was always in my mind. Um, for me, it was getting published in the New York Times the first time. Awesome. So they, I lived in New York for over 10 years, and the paper has this great little section called Metropolitan Diary that it's not newsy. It's reserved for these true slices of New York City life. It's first-person essays. They're personal, and it's the type of thing I think you need to read when you're a stressed-out New Yorker. Um, so they're known for being chosen based on just being a good story, well-told. And I submitted a piece years ago about the complete solace I could find in that crowded city when I would go running in the middle of the winter when it was freezing. Oh, nice. <laughs> it was the only time the streets really felt like they were mine. And, you know, that's the type of writing I love doing and the type of reading I love, but I often really have trouble finding time for. So that one still sticks out to me as 
kind of a personal goal, but also something that helped my career because what a great byline to land, you know, and that helped yes. open for me. So, actually, Wendy, if you don't mind, I'd love to um, hyperlink to the article in the blog if you, if you have that available, if if that's True. possible. Definitely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, who has been your mentor throughout your career? So this is related. I have quite a few, you know, at this point, but um, there's one that really sticks, sticks out to me. And it's the teacher of a class I took. Her name is Susan Shapiro. She's in New York. You can find her at susanshapiro.net. And the class I took, you're going to love this, and she still calls it this today, is Instant Gratification Takes Too Long. And it's a class for writers. Nice. So nice. I do love that. Impatient writers who want to get published. This woman understands writers. And she taught us, you know, what exactly worked for her. She's got a ton of great bylines and best-selling books under her. And what she would do is start there and then at the end of each class she would bring in past students who had gone on to become authors and editors for a q a oh i love that i mean i couldn't tell you it was so powerful to see people who had started out the same way as everyone else in the room and gotten to where they wanted to be so first it was kind of like giving us courage and the ability to see ourselves in the future then, you know, the second thing was just, we were able to connect with these, these editors. Then once I met them in her class, I was then able to email whoever it was and say, hey, I saw you speak in Sue's class. Can I pitch you? Or do you know someone at this other publication? So it's just this true, honest networking with other people who are passionate. Um, That's great. And the last, so, go ahead. So I just want to ask a quick question. Uh, Susan Shapiro, I have heard of her. I have heard of her. So this is this is really fantastic. I I would like to highlight her in the blog as well. She sounds like a. I'm I'm looking at her site. Looks like a great resource. Would you mind if I share that as well? Gosh, I would love it. I mean, awesome. She's, she's amazing. Um, and I have to tell you one other tip that she gave me that I always like to share is she encouraged all her students to start writing groups of peers with each other you know, that would last even beyond the class being over. And that was a huge thing for me. I have lifelong friends from the workshop that came from being in her class. And it really helped all of us get published because we had a weekly deadline to get each other pieces that we were gonna show to one another. It gives you a built-in audience, which I think can be a problem when you're writing. Sometimes if you don't know who you're writing for, at the very least, if you have a group of people that are going to read your piece, you know that they're going to read it. Right, right. Um, you know, and the last part is it, that really gave all of us, I think, a sense of healthy competition because you've got someone coming in saying, oh my gosh, I got a piece published in Marie Claire or whatever it is. And then you're saying like, oh, I helped work on that piece. Like, right. Like the fire under you. Yeah, I think it's like co-opetition. So you're, you're all lifting each other, and every time someone scores a big win, there's a little bit of a win in it for you, too. So I think that's amazing. That's I wonderful. Love, I'm going to steal that term from you. I love it. Sure. Co-opetition. <laughs> um, I'm a huge believer in that. I, I feel like even, you know, we can only compete against our own best selves. We're made of different DNA. We have different life experiences. Things that make us who we are are very different from the next person. So it's fruitless to com 
compare or contrast ourselves with another person. So I always advise my son, uh, he's my 17 year old son, I don't compete with others, compete with the guy you were yesterday. So try to remember that. So I feel like even though a lot of us do a lot of the same things or we advertise that we do the same or similar things, we do them differently. And even at the end of the day, if something is exactly the same, um, it's about likability, you know, and other factors, you know, what, what makes you want to work with one person over the other, given the outcome might be exactly the same. Well, it's that journey along the way. Um, so I do believe in coopetition and collaboration and not competition. Um, that's just me. I just typed compete with the guy you were yesterday. Yeah. I, I, you only, you only need you. to compete <laughs> with your own best self. Yeah. Compete with your own best self. So, um, I think you know this because you share the same philosophy about uh, women should lift each other up and not put each other down. And I think society pits us against one another all too often, and especially corporate America. I have been in-house in the corporate world and in financial services and legal in those industries. And I see it a lot. Uh, much of it comes from a failure to communicate because women and men communicate so differently. However, um, I think if we're not aware of that fact, we are either the victor or the victim of some of this, you know, this, this competition with women. And I try to break those walls down and, and say, you know, we're only hurting the, whatever powers that be are, are trying to divide and conquer. Um, we instead need to unify and lift each other up. So how do you advise in your power suiting um, ad blogs and such, how do you advise other women to support women in business? Sure. So it's funny you said that as a content creator my whole life, I have been able to sort of dip in and out of these other businesses and see like working for PetSmart, creating content for them and seeing how that corporation worked. And then now at Lucky Vitamin, um, I'm doing the same thing. And it, it's kind of it's really eye-opening because while I'm not involved in the core business, I am, it gives me a nice perspective to look at how the different departments interact. And I think really it's this model of making introductions and exposing people that we love to work with to others who may benefit from knowing them. Yes. He, um, I know it can be hard to do because it does require a core belief in abundance. So if I've made friends with an editor, let's say over years of writing pieces for her, and Susan, you want an introduction to that editor, I think everyone's knee-jerk reaction is, no, that's my contact. You know? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> then, the silos. The, of course. Yes. But I've learned to just take a breath and realize that there is enough work to go around and I would want your voice to be heard. So I make the introduction lovingly. Um, and on the flip side, I always encourage women to take that informational interview with an up and comer because worst case scenario is you hone your people skills and best case scenario is you meet someone you can give an opportunity to who will work hard for you. Awesome. I cannot tell you. I feel like Someone, we, you know how you hear the phrase mind meld? Mm -hmm. Well, I think with you, I have heart meld. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, we share a lot of the same thoughts, feelings, philosophies about how people, uh, I, I think if we can change, you, you know that, that attitudes are what lead to behaviors. If we can change some thoughts and attitudes, maybe we can change some behaviors. 
I, I love what you just said about recognizing the problems that exist where we we tend to be territorial or siloed and then saying, wait a minute, it's safe. It's safe to share. And then opening, you know, I, I believe in the, you use the phrase abundance. I'm of that same mindset as well. There's plenty of goodness and good work and a great opportunity to go around and we, whatever happens is meant to be, you know, we, we are as we should be and what is, is as it should be. So share your contacts where you um, have a request, share your knowledge, your valuable information and insights, um, like what you're doing today on the podcast. I am really grateful, grateful for having connected with you. You're, you're really fantastic. Tell me more about power suiting. Absolutely. So the name, you mentioned the name earlier. Um, this is one of those things. I was working full time and doing less freelancing, but I think because I came up as a writer, always having a lot going on, I just, I always need a, a side outlet no matter what I'm doing. So I decided to start, originally it was a fashion blog for career women, which is where the name came from. And I started doing all these interviews with these great women leaders, entrepreneurs, and I'm asking them about their clothes and what they like to wear. And every single conversation turned into more about their leadership philosophy and where they started and how they got to where they were. And it, it just dawned on me slowly that that's what I really cared about. So over the last two years, I've transitioned it into a full career trajectory, leadership and mentorship site instead. And it's just one of those things, like I believe very firmly in jumping in and getting started when you have an idea and that there's always a way to kind of hone that idea down into something that really works for you. And this was a situation where I was luckily able to make that happen. Um, I just had to get the process started in order to figure out what I really I need. love that. I love that. So you're basically um, it's, it's jump. It's just do it. It's, it's, you know, um, just act on it, take some action, get her done, uh, you know, ask permission later, you know, beg <laughs> for what's that phrase? Um, ask better, permission, not for, no, ask forgiveness, not permission. Better to beg forgiveness than ask permission. That's yeah. it. I love it. I love it. So that's kind of the philosophy that I followed when I started my Bubbles, Bites, and Bits of Wisdom events. Uh, it's quite a mouthful. But I thought, I want to highlight women and featured speakers and raise their profiles and gain them the um, audience or the spotlight that they deserve and give them that voice that you and I talked about. And I was like, people were like, you need to slow your roll. Well, most people were like, oh my gosh, I'm so amazed. You're blazing a trail and what a path. And it's turned out to be amazing. Uh, it, it's that same philosophy. You just jump, um, not foolishly. Of course, I had some critical thought, but I didn't get paralyzed with the thought. Um, I always say perfect and pending is no good. Uh, good and done beats perfect and pending. Oh, so. 100%. I <laughs> I think it's hard a way to get over that that feeling of like wanting something to be perfect before you begin um i learned this from the author of the dilbert comic book scott adams he has a bunch of books out and he was recently featured on the tim ferris podcast which i listened to religiously uh -huh. so he talked about when you start something new thinking about it as a system and he actually used his blog as an example he started writing a blog with 
wasn't he wasn't exactly sure where he wanted to go with it but he knew that at least at the very least he would get better doing writing writing faster trying out different voices and that could help him pitch freelance articles or respond to press inquiries so he decided to just do it knowing that there were at least one or two ways he would benefit even if he didn't know exactly what they were so he had a system rather than a goal and that blog ended up getting very popular and it did bring other publications to him asking him to get published in things like the washington post um, and eventually it led to speaking gigs that he does so after i heard that i think that kind of helped me take the leap of like okay i'm just gonna start this and this is a perfect example you know it led to me getting more active on twitter and then finding you and now Aww. we're talking <laughs> Well, I love it. I love it. It's almost like um, there was another brain on the East Coast thinking the same thoughts that I was thinking on the West Coast. So we definitely have connected not just on Twitter, but in many, many ways. Um, I, I offer myself, my services, my heart, my head, anything, my hands, whatever you need to help you in achieving your goals on behalf of yourself and others. And that I think is, you know, the philosophy you have on the East Coast in helping women to lift women. Well, all is not always perfect. All is not always well. Um, although I do believe all is as all should be. What has been your biggest challenge or setback and how did you overcome that? So it sounds like you can relate to this and I will say challenge, not setback, and it's still happening. And it's that I have two kids under the age of five right now. One of whom, <laughs> I will wow. not name names, still is not sleeping through the night. So oh, I remember. <laughs> I just think that's something that you can't really prepare for. And coming back to work after having each of them while still dealing with the total, just devastating sleep deprivation was yeah. unlike anything I ever imagined. Um, so you know, one way I overcame it was to ask for help, which is not something I think a lot of women are used to doing. We feel very much like we need to handle it, um, especially moms. I agree. Um, God, it really took me with the second one. I think that that's really where I, I was a lot more kind of chastened and humbled and learned that asking for help was okay. Yes. So I think with him, what really got me was once I headed back to work and he was still waking up two, three times a night, um, I, I got in the car to drive to work one morning and I, I felt drunk. Like that's how I yeah. felt asleep. Like, and I just Sleep thought, deprivation's horrible. Yeah. Like I just thought I can't drive right now. So, you know, I had to just get, plod back into my house and talk to my boss and say, Hey, do you mind if I do everything remote today? And it's terrible that I even hesitated, I think, doing that. But once right. I did it, you know, then you start to realize people are understanding. Um, so that was well, a Let good me ask you, is your boss a male or female, and how did he or she respond? Well, at the time, it, my boss was a male and was completely, perfectly understanding, also uh -huh. has young kids. And it was awesome. not a problem. <laughs> so good. So I, I I was talking to someone this morning. Funny that you say that about sleep deprivation. That I get a lot of my best work done at two a.m. And that's because I listen to my body. If it's seven thirty and it says you need to take a nap, then I will. Now it's a crazy pattern, but it works for me. So um, if I were to force myself to stay up and then sleep 
you know, certain hours and then it just would not work for me. But we were talking about sleep deprivation and I, like you, cannot even drive when I'm sleepy. I'm afraid that it's like a, a narcoleptic. I would just like be out. So I was telling her, it's sort of like driving your car 70 miles an hour and hitting a brick wall. I mean, you just like, can you cannot do your best work when you're that way. So mm -hmm. I love that your boss understood the importance of a mental health break or a nap time or a need to <laughs> or whatever the brain, you know, feed the brain, feed the, the body. I just, um, I think it's important to talk about too, because I think if more workplaces were understanding in that way, life would be so much easier for so many families. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. So I did um, a session just yesterday with a group of women here in California, and we talked about um, maternal wall bias. Um, are you familiar with that? I'm not. So a woman out here, uh, she's, she's a professor. Her name is Dr. Joan Williams. She's done a lot of research on biases in the workplace. And one of the biases that she focused on in her research and, and with her findings is called the maternal wall. And we talked about this yesterday. And, and, and I think it's great that you brought this up. I didn't intend on visiting this in the podcast, but I think it just sort of flowed. It just happened. And, and I think it, if it's okay with you, I'd like us to discuss it. Um, yeah. we call it the maternal wall because, you know, people like you and me who've had children and even women who have not had children face this as well, because gen males in the workplace view women as, uh oh, so they, they, especially at a certain age, they are of childbearing age. So let's not give them the heavy duty projects or let's not sign them up for this particular case or whatever. So they're missing out on opportunities for equity based on unconscious bias, one of those called the maternal wall. You might even hear other coworkers comment about commitment after having children. Um, have you ever heard about that? So, so like when mothers are working out of the office, people are automatically assume they're at home with their kids when sometimes they're not, or they might remember the one time that you were late coming to work after you had a child but never the numerous times that you were on time or you might not be offered the challenging assignment or promotion because managers assume now that you have children, you won't have time for the extra work. I mean, of course that's true. There are times when you won't and you need to have the courage to say that. What do you find uh, about that? Or have you discussed that with anyone? Um, I've had someone say, oh, I know it's not a good time for you since you have a new child. When I'm like, you know, you should make the request and let me, decide if it is or is not a good time for me. It's a great point. I've been very lucky in that both companies I've worked for, PetSmart and now Lucky Vitamin, while I was having my kids, have been so understanding. And I've had bosses in both cases who both were male, also had kids and were super understanding. Awesome. Um, and I've been lucky as well because now a lot of my teammates and employees are kind of going through the same thing. So I do feel very fortunate in that. However, I have spoken to um, other friends and even clients for career coaching who have run into this little bit of bias, like you said, where it's not, it's not being said out loud, but they're kind of noticing maybe missing out on a big project or right. even 
being pregnant and, and wanting to apply for jobs and not sure how to handle it. Um, and I always encourage them to be upfront. I really feel like we shouldn't allow employers to sort of wriggle out of these situations. So I think being direct about it is the best way to go. And that usually does seem to work. So I'm hoping that the more we can bring this up and talk about it, the more that this stops happening. I agree. So I love that you said be direct about it. I think open conversation. Um, I know that um, folks, if you haven't read Dare to Lead or any of the Brene Brown books, you should. Um, it, yes. If you care at all about changing the landscape, she, she's quite a mover and shaker. And both Wendy and I are fans. Absolutely. She talks a lot about vulnerability. In fact, I think her TED Talk is the number two most watched TED Talk in history. It's called Power of Vulnerability. And I think that when we are vulnerable or when we have something about which we're concerned and we share our concerns directly, as you indicated, that it gives permission to other people to be open, honest, and direct with us. Um, is that something you would, you know, advise others on, like to totally be open about these things? I do. I agree with it because I think the only thing really holding women back from being open about something like this is the fear that they're going to hear the answer they don't want. But my response to that is usually if your employer gives you the answer you don't want, then you would want to reconsider working there anyway. Right. So better to find out now and get your priorities straight. Even though it might be a painful process, um, it seems inevitable if, if the employer comes back with something the person doesn't want to hear, you know that they can't be flexible or whatever the case may be. Yeah, so I would rather have an authentic conversation and know what my um, expectations are and know their expectations of me, set some boundaries. If this is not a place that's going to be family friendly and I plan on having a family and that's important to me, then our values don't align. I don't want to work there. Exactly. So, and you know, you don't have to say that in the moment, but you can right. kind of cut it away. <laughs> Yeah, don't, don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> you can think to yourself, okay, that's not the answer I was expecting. Talk to Wendy Toth about exactly how to phrase that. When <laughs> so tell us something we don't know. Tell us something surprising, a fact about you that no one knows, or maybe something fun or funny we need to know. Or So this is surprising. So I live outside of Philadelphia now, and... Uh, I'm a surfer, so wow. I, I learned to surf when I was 30 years old, which people are always surprised to learn, yes. uh, but I, I'm not good at it, and I have <laughs> for it. Well, where do you practice? I mean, do you get a so lot of I go to the, I go to a ton of different places in New Jersey, um, which, you know, it's, it's hard to find the time. And at this point with the kids, I'm definitely not going as much as I would like to, but I try to make it out there as much as possible. I have wetsuit for cold water. And <laughs> okay. my goal is just to be able to paddle out and catch the easy waves until I am well into old age. I'm not trying to do anything fancy. <laughs> so that's so great. I think that's awesome. Um, I don't know if you know this, but my family and I lived in Hawaii for almost five years. Oh. And the water's beautiful and clean and clear because it's so far removed from any, you know, danger or damage or oil spills or what have you. But I never learned to surf. And 
you know, the water's so warm and you can, and it's the place to do that. So I suggest to you who does like to surf that you, um, go to Hawaii and that you take your family out there. I think the kids would enjoy paddle boarding and um, there's a lot to do on all the islands. I particularly like uh, Maui because there's a balance between nature and commercialism. Uh, if you're interested in just pure beauty, the beauty of Kauai can't be topped. Uh, but we lived in Oahu for almost five years and I never learned to surf. So I bow down to you when you talk. I think it's fantastic that you surf. And I say, put that wetsuit on and get out in that 50 degree water. The <laughs> whole water out there in the Jersey shores. It's amazing. Um, yeah. You won't see a lot of it on my social media feed. Cause like I said, I'm not, you're not, you're not going to get these glamour shots of me doing it. <laughs> Both ways. <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome so if you don't mind tell us a little bit about your kids oh sure i've got two boys um very very rambunctious as you could imagine fun fun though i think that's great i just boy mom oh it's i love it i love having them it's it's really taught me to prioritize in my life yeah. You know, I think before I had kids, um, when I worked at Parents Magazine, actually, that was before I had kids. That was in my early 20s. And the staff, you know, we were kind of split. There were plenty of parents working there. And then there were some of us younger, you know, kind of junior editors at the time who were just trying to learn. And I remember my boss at the time telling me that he was able to prioritize and get all his work done and get in and out on time because he knew he had to go home and make dinner and wanted to spend time with his kids. And I didn't, it honestly did not really hit me until I had my own. Yeah. That, you know, you're, you are able to just be so much more productive during the day for a whole host of reasons. You know, one is because you do want that free time at night. One is because I think when you have kids, you just level up as a human being and you just learn how to do things quickly and let go of perfectionism and keep moving. And necessity is the mother of invention, right? Yes. Yeah, you definitely, I love that level up. That is totally the phrase. So I don't want to make this podcast about me, but I will tell you, I was a single mom early on. Um, my marriage ended when my child was nine months old. So I raised my son for the first eight years of his life on my own as a career woman. And so level up, I did. And I'll tell you, I never used that phrase before, but it's a very popular phrase now. And I think that looking back in those days, it was like, you know, yay me, pat on the back, level up, I did. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, even just getting out of the house in the morning is like, yes. oh, you know, you have to have a strategy. <laughs> I needed a team. I needed an entourage, a posse, a group, of, but I didn't have any of that. I just had, you know, you know, kicking the door. You, you can imagine, you see these on comedy skits and sitcoms and such, you know, kicking the door shut because your hands are full. You got groceries in one hand, the baby in the other, and then the baby Bjorn was invented. So you have that <laughs> everywhere oh you gosh. go, there's this kid strapped to you. Yeah, it was fun, but, um, I have a family unit now, happily remarried, and my husband adopted my son. I fought for sole custody and won, so my now husband adopted my son when he was eight. 
So um, he's 17 now. So I love the whole family thing. And we're two working parents. Uh, Does your husband work? He does. So awesome. You know, (laughs) it's hard. It's hard. It goes back to that asking for help thing. It's just that's become a way of life for us. Why do we not do that, Wendy? Why are we afraid? I, does it all go? I think maybe it all goes back to people being afraid people will say no. But I try to think again about when people ask me for help. I love it. I'd love to feel wanted and needed and to help people and to feel satisfied and working together. And I started to try and think about it that way. Like by not asking for help, I'm actually taking something away from someone. Oh, I love that. You know, who might really want to be with my family and hang out with my kids and get up early and come over and help me get them to school. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I love that concept of, you know, making it about the other person, you know, they, so I am one of those people, I'm a giver, like Adam Grant's book, Giver, Giver, Give and Take. I'm a giver. Um, I don't do well with takers. I'm okay with those quid pro quo people who are matchers. But as a giver, I love when people ask for help and I'm constantly offering to help. And it, you just hit the nail on the head. I never even thought about that. When someone asks me for help, it makes me happy. So it's sort of a little gift I give myself when I offer to help others and, or when others ask me for help. So yeah, that's, that's great. I think we're cut from the same cloth, Wendy Top. Sure. <laughs> yeah, well, in closing... Um, let me ask you if people want to know more about you, and I'm sure they do. You are so dynamic and multifaceted. I've had some really great guests on my podcast, and you're one of the, I would say, most fun, most multifaceted. Um, just the, the way that we met was fun. The whole thing. Thank you. Yeah. How can people reach you if they too want to connect with you? Sure. So, Definitely check out my website, powersuiting.com. I've got an about page, my email's on there, my bio, and then I am most active on Twitter at powersuiting. And then that's for, you know, kind of leadership, career mentorship stuff. And then my writer handle is at bestwendy, which I did come up with that years and years ago before I knew the other Wendy talk. So. <laughs> so that's okay. You know, there, there may be another Wendy talk out there in the world, which you know, that's okay. So just, just right now, just don't call yourself the better Wendy. Yes. <laughs> that would, no, you both are amazing, amazing Wendy talks. And I'm going to make it my goal to introduce the two of you so that you two can connect. I think you'd hit it off beautifully and have way more in common than just your name. So it has been my pleasure. You are phenomenal. I hope we stay connected. I plan on um, bugging you a lot on Twitter. Uh, so if you, if you want anything from me, you know, you can reach me at at free and then you have all my contact information as well as uh, from my website and my social media handles. Yes, and I should add, if anybody does visit powersuiting.com, you wrote a wonderful guest blog post for me on networking naturally, and it's the lead story right now. So everyone should check it out. Thank you so much. So I literally forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, I think anyone who's in the professional services industry or world in any industry would want to know better how to be more comfortable when they build 
initiate, build, and grow relationships with others. It's about more than just going home with 20 business cards in your pocket after an event. That's not meaningful. We want meaningful connections. I'd rather meet two people that then become, you know, lifelong relationships. We can refer work to one another or just become friends, which is always nice too. So thank you for posting that on your blog. And I did not realize, I totally forgot about that. And I'm mm -hmm. glad that you brought that up. So Wendy Toth, you're amazing. Is there anything you'd like to say before we say goodbye? You as well. I just want to thank you again for having me. This was so much fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Happy holidays to you and your family. Goodbye, everyone. Yeah.